history has shown us time and again the enemy, the villain versus the hero, both fictional and non-fictional. One champion pitted against another, whether you go all the way back to David and Goliath or, or Hector and Achilles, Superman, Lex Luthor, or one of my favorites, Lego Batman and his arch-villain wannabe, the Joker. And in some cases, historically, nations, armies, would pit their champion against the opposing army's champion, and they would represent the whole nation, the civilization, their army. They would actually fight, and the winner of that battle would determine the, the terms, the outcome. They would avoid fighting because the champion won for the whole army. Today we, we celebrate a champion that was put forth in our place. The champion, of course, is Jesus Christ came into the wilderness for that very purpose, to fight Satan. Heaven's best, the Son of God himself, doing battle one-on-one -on -one with the best that hell could put forth, Satan. And they were battling for much more than just bragging rights, much more than just setting any terms on the outcome. They were battling for, for the souls of mankind to be able to determine where eternity would be spent. Jesus had just been baptized prior to this, and if you're not familiar with that event in Scripture, one of the remarkable things that happened at Jesus' baptism was that heaven opened up, the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus, and the Father's voice expressed his approval with the Son. And one commentator pointed out that just as heaven had opened up to, to reveal, to anoint, to designate its champion, now in the wilderness, it's as if hell opened up and Satan came forth to challenge the Son of God, to put him to the test. And so he sharpened his tools of temptation. And in fact, as you heard in, in Matthew's account from our gospel today, that was the very purpose that Jesus went into the wilderness. This was not mere coincidence. He tells us in verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was going to do battle. And that's where the battle would be fought. Now, why did, did Jesus have to be tempted? Why, why did he have to face this? Because he had to show himself to be qualified, to be the Savior that, that the Father designated him to be, and that he had claimed to be, and that all of the prophets before him had, had pointed or, or prophesied that he would be as well. So if he was going to show himself qualified to be a savior, then he had to be put to the test. He had to show himself to be able to be what we cannot, perfect and holy. So he had to, to be tempted to show that he was qualified. Think of it this way. Nobody is going to, these days, hire somebody into their company or their organization without first seeing their qualifications. You don't just apply for a job and say, I, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. Okay, you're hired. You have to have the qualifications for the job. And so Jesus being tempted, Jesus doing battle with Satan was his way of showing that he was qualified to be the Savior that we needed. To be the obedience, to be the perfection, to be the holiness that, that we can never measure up to. And he succeeded as our champion. 
And you heard it in the gospel acclamation. It's just a fancy way of saying a certain verse of the, the day that, that kind of highlights that focus. The writer to the Hebrews pointed it out. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he said that in Jesus we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He was qualified. Why was it so important that Jesus was qualified, that he would face and overcome this temptation? Well, think to, if you aren't a Christian, you're familiar enough with what, what Christians say when you ask them, well, how are you so confident of what's going to happen to you? And more often than not, they will say, well, that Jesus died for my sins. And that's true. But that's only part of the equation. See, if Jesus had fell flat on his face here in this temptation, when we fast forward to Good Friday where we see Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of mankind, had he stumbled before that, prior to that, in any way whatsoever, in disobedience, in sin, in giving in to temptation, it would not have mattered a lick for you and me to have him die on the cross because he would not have been qualified to be the holy, perfect, innocent Savior that we need. So his perfection, his holiness was absolutely essential for our salvation. And he stared Satan down in this battle and he won decisively. He won that battle for us. We are not only able to look at that and find security and confidence in, in Jesus overcoming Satan, but we also find there the strength and the confidence to face temptation ourselves as well. And you will face it. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that a number of you, in some way or another, probably currently are dealing with something right now. Again, now I'm, I'm sure there are, are some that are, are either watching or joining us this morning that, that may not be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, may not be there yet spiritually to believe in a, a hell or a Satan or a temptation, uh, to use those, those terms that Christians use. But I'd be willing to bet that you have faced what we refer to as temptation. Because we all have a general sense of right and wrong. And there are just some things that, that we know, we have experienced, that I know what the right thing to do in this scenario is, but I find myself drawn to doing the wrong thing. We call that temptation. Most of us would probably agree, I think, when we focus on something like marriage. That for the sake of my spouse, for the sake of my kids and my family, for the sake of society in general, it's good for husbands and wives to be faithfully dedicated and committed to each other. That's good, right? But then what happens when a coworker or an acquaintance suddenly takes an interest in us and this newfound curiosity awakens in us? We are faced with a temptation. Do I nurture that relationship and write it off as innocent and harmless, or do I realize to do so is going to damage my commitment and relationship to my spouse? Most of us, I think, would agree, right, that it's, it's good to be loving and kind to other people, 
And then we read through the comments, and we just can't let it go that, that somebody wrote that in this article, and we take it on ourselves. It's our responsibility to make sure that anybody else reading the comments knows what kind of a childish moron that person is, and so we, we let them have it in the comments section. Lose control. And where does that really get us at the end of the day? And we know that we are supposed to control our, our emotions, that it's good, it's beneficial when we don't fly off the handle. But have you driven around here? My goodness, you get in the car and you know your kids are there and you're supposed to control your emotions, but how can you keep from cussing or letting somebody have it when there are so many inept drivers out there? And you know how many people struggle with not being able to, to handle how much they drink. But that's not, that's not you. You can function just fine, and, and one more drink for you is not going to affect you the way it does those other people. So whether you call it temptation or not, you face it. You're faced with those very same challenges, and whether or not you believe in Satan at all, I can tell you those temptations, those challenges, don't come from a loving and gracious God. And just as you see in the gospel accounts this morning of Jesus, the other thing that the devil is going to do is he is going to tailor temptations specifically to you. Now, don't give him too much credit. He's not God. He can't get inside your head. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. But he does have plenty of evil angels, demons working with him. And quite frankly, all they have to do is observe you and me for a little while. And they'll start to pick up pretty quickly on where our weaknesses are. They'll pay attention to what we're watching. They'll pay attention to what we're doing when we think nobody else is looking. They pay attention to how we tend to cope with things when stress and anxiety are on the rise. And Satan's going to take advantage of those. He's going to hit you in your weak spots. And don't be surprised when he did, because that's exactly what he did to Jesus. These were not three random temptations, by the way. These were very specifically tailored to where Jesus was in those circumstances and in that situation. Why would he tempt Jesus to turn stones in bread? Because he had been fasting for 40 days and he was famished. Do you realize how tempting that would have been? Just turn them into bread and eat. Fill your stomach. Why would he tempt Jesus on the temple to, to throw himself down and have God send his angels to rescue him? What's the big deal there? Because remember at Jesus' baptism, Jesus himself had just heard the Father say, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Here would have been a great opportunity for God to prove it by Jesus taking the leap and letting God come to his rescue and show I truly do love you. And the third temptation recorded for us that we might easily write off was also very poignant because Jesus, the creator of all things, who came into this world and took on human flesh, knew the path ahead of him. And we might say, well, there was no temptation for, for him to oversee rule uh, kingdoms and, and, and palaces. But Jesus knew exactly what was ahead of him. And his kingdom was of another world. And the path ahead of him did not involve living in the lap of luxury or the creature comforts that any other earthly king 
would enjoy. So maybe just for a quick moment before he would go down that hard path that would, would end in suffering and death, maybe he could just, just this one time bow down and enjoy just the creature comforts of this world. But he would have none of it. So these were very tailored temptations. Satan took them and, and, and he fitted them like a, a finely fitted suit specifically to, to Jesus and he'll do the same for you. How do we often respond when we find ourselves in the heat of the moment, when we're, when we're tempted? I would say that two of the, the most common phrases that we kind of default to these days, maybe it's always been this way, is I think... And I feel. Well, I, I think that this is wrong because, or I feel like that's wrong because. And I want you to stop and, and wonder how effective that is in the face of temptation. When you're talking about something so subjective as what you think and, and what you feel, your logic and your emotions, which change virtually every day. You don't think the way that you used to. You don't feel the way that you used to. Those things change. So why are you surprised that those don't really help you if those are your line of defense against temptation? And not only that, I'll go a step further with them and actually say that they oftentimes betray you. When you depend on your logic or your emotions, those are the things that turn around and say, well, wait a minute. Actually, this maybe isn't that bad. Or I feel like God would be all right with this. And there you are in the thick of temptation, giving in because your own logic and your own emotions made it okay. You rationalized it. You excused it in your own mind. Why would we think that those are the tools that are going to help us stand up in the face of temptation? You notice Jesus didn't use either of those phrases. In any one of his temptations, Jesus did not respond to the devil by saying, well, wait a minute, Satan. I think... He didn't say, hold on, Satan. I feel like he said the same thing. One word in the Greek, gagraptai, translated, it is written. If we were to, to take what Jesus said then and, and apply it today, we would simply say Jesus responded to the devil by saying, the Bible says, and then he quoted scripture. Something that has not, something that will not change the way that our thoughts and our emotions do. When you go to Scripture, you have something that is reliable. When you go to God's Word, you have something that, as I said, will not ever change. There is a foundation. There is a compass. There is a barometer by which you can gauge the truth from God to stand in the face of Satan. And that was exactly what Satan used. And he succeeded. And actually, this whole account from the gospel is one that applies. It is written. Why? Why was this written? Why do we have these verses in Matthew recorded for us of Jesus' temptation? Let me be clear. It is not so that you have a how-to in the face of temptation. This is not a list for believers to follow and say, this is how Jesus did it, and this is how you should do it. While there's a place for that, as I said to the kids, the takeaway from this 
account in Scripture is not to give you hope that you can follow in the Savior's footsteps. The intent behind this being written in Scripture is so that you see that you have a champion who succeeded in fending off temptation as your substitute, in your place. One who did what we could never do or achieve on our own. Jesus, your champion, went to battle for you and thoroughly defeated Satan. You and me, who on our own were defeated, you heard it in the first lesson in Genesis, ever since then, all we've been doing is failing in the face of temptation, and we have a champion who came and has given us his undefeated record. Now what does that mean for for us today? Well, a couple of, of things. Do you notice one thing that I I want you to to take away is how the the account ended. What happened after Jesus told the devil to bug off? Very last verse, Matthew records for us. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. How awesome would that have been To have gone through that temptation and have angels come there and provide aid and care and comfort and protection for you. I can't fathom what it would be like, but do you realize that that God gives you the same promise of care and protection, the same promise of, of aid and encouragement when you need it? Does he promise that it's always going to come divinely through through angel messengers? Not necessarily, though he might. But you know how he keeps that promise? He does that through your brothers and sisters in Christ. You realize that's one of the blessings of being a part of a Christian congregation. God does not bring believers together because he's really interested in making sure everybody gets a check mark on Sunday morning. He brings believers together to minister to each other and to the world, to provide the very care and support and encouragement when we are in the thick of temptation or at the beginning of it or at the end of it or anywhere in between. It doesn't matter. God has given to us each other to provide that care and protection. I know we have a number of of school families with us this morning. I'll just ask you to reflect as you have considered your students' time in our school. I hope and pray that at this point, you have noticed there's something different about our school. Are we interested in making sure that your kids get good grades and are ready for the next level? Absolutely. But I surely hope that you have noticed something else. I hope that you have noticed what a community it it is here as you get to know other parents. I hope that you have, have noticed how much the teachers care for not just your student, but your family. And I hope you know that there's a reason that, that I'm out there in the morning greeting students. It's, it's not just to be known. It's because not only do, do I care about every kid that is enrolled in our school, but every parent that is attached to them. And that any one of us would do whatever we could to serve or minister to you in any way to meet any need that you have. Where does that come from? It's not natural to to us. 
Naturally, we're selfish. Naturally, we focus on us. But Jesus changes us. I mentioned it to the the children as well in the, the message. When you think about this reality that we have a Savior, a champion, who who assures us that even though we are going to fall, and as I told the children, you are going to fall into temptation, as will I. That's the one sure thing that you can bank on. But I have good news for you. God does not base your relationship with him on your record of successes or failures in the face of temptation. God bases his relationship with you on the perfect, undefeated record of his son through faith in Jesus. That is the record that God sees. Through faith in Jesus, he sees his son's holiness. Not all of your failures, not all of my sins, but Jesus' holiness and righteousness. And as I said to the kids, I understand that that commonly leads people to say, This is what I don't get about Christianity, and this is what turns me off about it because I know far too many Christians who live in a way that totally does not line up with the way they're supposed to. And they live that way because they believe that forgiveness means they can do whatever they want. And that is 100% true. That is exactly what forgiveness means. You can do whatever you want. But what else forgiveness and grace means is that my heart less and less wants to do the things that oppose God. And more and more, as that grace changes and transforms the heart of a believer, yes, we're going to still stumble. That's why you will always see Christians appearing to be hypocritical, not because they they are using forgiveness as a license to sin, but because they're a work in progress, as we all are. But let me emphasize progress. Because the gospel changes and works on our hearts so that more and more what I want to do is in line with what God wants for me. That's why our teachers are the way they are. That's why our families in this congregation are the way that they are. Because we have been freed from being selfish. We are free to be selfless and put others first to love you, to serve you, to care for you in any way whatsoever, in any way that we can. And as I said, that doesn't come naturally. That's not from us. Naturally, we are defeated. But in Christ, our champion, our conqueror, we are undefeated. And we get to live like it. Amen.